Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Normally, being a little extra can be a bit much. But when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Namaste, my friends. This is Ali Vishal Rubin here to welcome you to the Yoga Revealed podcast. Today, we have a special treat for you. It is an honor to introduce the beautifully devoted Janet Stone. Janet weaves together the sacred teachings of the Hindu deities with her teaching of the asana practice in order to produce a truly magical and devotional experience for her students. Use, you know, the the realm of the heart to to really awaken the body and also use the body to awaken the heart without this vessel without its interconnectedness we wouldn't be able to experience what we experience we experience everything through our senses janet and i sat down while at the hanuman yoga festival earlier in june and we are so excited to share her story with you wait until the end of the podcast and you can have an opportunity to receive 20 percent off on her svadharma online immersion Stay tuned and enjoy this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. Namaste, my friends, and welcome to the Yoga Revealed podcast. We're here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, with an amazing view of the Flatirons, and it is such a blessing to sit across mm. from the wisdom keeper and the one and only Miss Janet Stone. Miss Janet, thank you so much for being here in Colorado for Hanuman Yoga Festival mm. and taking some time to share with us your story mm. and your path and who you are. Thank you so much for the invitation and for rolling right in. <laughs> yes, indeed. Yeah. So could you share with us just a little synopsis of mm. um, where you're coming from, pre-yoga perhaps, mm-hmm. and how yoga was revealed to you and uh, really what sets you out on this path of devotion? Yeah, I don't know, a synopsis. How long do you guys have? Because I feel like these, you know, if we really trace it back, these paths begin probably even before we were born, but not to go super meta. We'll get into the details of it. And, you know, I was was raised in a home of sort of alternative thinking and moving through the world with uh, attempting to expand our view. And my grandfather and three generations before were born and raised in India. So that sort of came back with them to California and 
was infused in, in some of my living and some of the ways in which we moved it through the world. And then, and then I took really fascinating adventures. I lived in Paris. I did hardcore adventure racing and multi-sporting and hardcore mountain biking. I lived here in Colorado for a while and I would jump off of any high precipice and you know, really just found ways to push my body and explore um, what it was to really use it. And my father passed away when he was younger than I am now, he was 45, and you know, just really set me on a slightly different path of inquiry. So all that outer and all that great awakening <laughs> of the outer body and this push and what are the limits and um, became uh, a bit internalized. At that point, I moved to LA, as one would do when you're soul searching. <laughs> or somehow ended up there, but uh, yeah, and then just slid into the film industry and I was there for a dozen years. And a lot of self-reflection, a lot of beautiful um, awareness and awakening and believe it or not, it's not all just on the surface. And somewhere about midway on that journey, I took a hiatus, as they say in that industry, not a sabbatical, <laughs> but you take a hiatus, and I traveled off into the world. I spent a lot of time in Egypt, and a lot of time in India, and then Nepal, and it just kind of kept going. It was about a year and a half, and really from the first moment I landed in, uh, arrived in India, it was like yoga was waiting for me, and not in an ashram, and not in a particular form, though it did come, eventually, I did come to Shivananda. But really, in the people that I met, I felt like it was just thrumming with the practices of yoga in, in uh, so many ways of that birth-death cycle, really watching the samskaras and the karmas unfold, my own, in relationship to this. And yeah, and then I've the people along the path just kept sharing asana practices as well. And eventually, yeah, I arrived back to LA, and I was working on Curb Your Enthusiasm with Larry David, and I was practicing. I couldn't figure out where to practice after that adventure, and I was practicing with Brian Kest in the dance home, and Max Strom, who really like put my feet back on the ground, and. And he told me one day, he was like, you'll teach yoga. And I'm like, You're, no, I'm good. I've got, I've got it sorted out. And dare I say, here I am, you know? I don't know, that doesn't really fill, fill it in, but um, yeah, I feel like. So you feel like you had a really, truly genuine introduction to yoga through conversation? Yeah. Through interpersonal connection? Yeah, for sure. I think that's amazing. Yeah. I'd really, you know, in Boulder, I'd come to a teacher called Maraji at the time, and he eventually took his real name, Prem Rawat. And, you know, so starting at 17, there was that. There was a lot of internal reflection, as I was mentioning. And then the way it actually came, and the yoga, and the, and the, the many principles, and the Eightfold Path really started to be a relationship of conversation, mm -hmm. as you said, of living. Did you feel like right away, bhakti? Or did it take time? No, it took time, for sure. Can you tell us and a little I, about that timeline? Yeah, I mean, in the sense that I would hear the brahminical chants and there would be bhakti and that, you know, something would, would soften around the heart or I would have these conversations with these gurus that wouldn't call themselves gurus, but I would call them great teachers. And it could be 
you know, a woman yak herder who is a guru to me, you know, in this, in a particular moment. And then the, the deeper studies, but yeah, no bhakti sort of slowly emerged. And when I was back in Los Angeles, there was a moment when Max was oming and something absolutely melted or broke apart in the heart that had been a shell of, of protection. So I feel like those are the moments that bhakti really comes alive and, and that is one moment it just, of the many, that it came into play. The shell of protection. Mm-hmm. Can you comment on that? Mm. And how we're walking around it perhaps with these shells of who we are, we have this mm. veil, right? Mm. And, and we connect more with ourselves and whatever practice it is, sometimes we're removing this veil and then it's like, yeah. speak to that. Yeah, absolutely. The shell around the heart is the shell of our stories, is the shell of our um, misidentification, in a sense, with um, all of our stories, the I am's. And that becomes a way of protecting ourselves from really seeing someone or be seen by someone. Definitely there's the, the big moments of the mind blowing and whoa, that veil comes down, but we still live in a day-to-day life where we're bumping up against our own boundaries of human body, of human needs, and other people's boundaries of human bodies and human needs, and you know how to stay supple in the heart around that, um, including love and loss and... Um, change and um, impermanence mm-hmm. and it's very easy as we go along to without even a statement of I'm going to protect this we just start layer after layer and that's why it's an endless practice because we forget and we remember and that's how I, I perceive this practice in that we forget the truth of our heart or the our true nature and the practice is about remembering, and even if it's just for a moment, mm. that suppleness or that softness around the heart. It's a great gift. One of my teachers used to say, you know, how when we forget to remember, and to, to remember devotion, to remember practice, and yeah. remember the breath. So, Absolutely. you know, in, uh, in your own practice, as you have slowly taken off these shells of protection, mm-hmm. uh, how have you sat with discomfort mm. in your life as it perhaps has arised. Oh yeah. Well, and that's it. I feel like one of one of the teachings that was offered to me is about finding the ground. Mm. And in finding the ground, I feel like we can sit and we can sit in the undulations of our own emotion, right? Wow. There pause for 5 minutes and watch your emotional self <laughs> go on this journey, right? And <laughs> Um, we can ground ourselves in the, the moments of loss and the moments mm-hmm. of even great joy and mm-hmm. all the good things coming our way and um, not got, get lost in the mind and then construct a whole story around it. So, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, we, and also I think discomfort, destigmatizing discomfort, destigmatizing like the yoga, I think a lot of people come in and they want to have this vision that it's just wee beautiful and then I'm going to be blissed out and it's just it's real and it's actually you sit in your own humanness and then you bump into other people's humanness and being able to be as heart soft and spacious as possible to hold that and sometimes when you're not 
being compassionate around that as well. Like I, I, <laughs> I'm not able to do this at this moment. I'm going into my small self or my little stories, and then sit back down, find the ground, and dissolve the stories. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So right here, you had mentioned how you you have a a, a, a recognition recognition for the asana, mm. and what is it that you're hoping to transmit to your students through your asana, and through the practice of bhakti mm. and bringing those two together let's yes. talk about that yummy why not use you know the the realm of the heart to inf- to really awaken the body and also use the body to awaken the heart without this vessel without its interconnectedness we wouldn't be able to experience what we experience we experience everything through our senses and so so much of these practices of becoming more um, strong, but in uh, not in a rigid, hard outer shell way, but internally strong, and connected and supple at the same time. Right then, we have a p- more porous connectivity to enter into the heart region, into not love of like uh, you know, let's have this agreement, let's love each other, but love, and that's bhakti, right? Mm. Love, and you know, I think. Many people have an interesting perception on devotion. It's, yay, Hare Krishna, and you know, <laughs> and devotion is so um, deeply steeped in what you're giving your time to, what you're giving your thoughts to, what you're giving your life force to. Meaning, am I devoted to fear? Do I run around fear based? That's my devotion then, because I'm giving my precious resources to that. Am I running around comparative living? Oh, he's doing better. She's doing better. I'm, you know, and bhakti is just softening around so much of that being in body, letting the body be sure, awake, alive, vital. I love the play of the body. Thank goodness. But it too will go. Mm. And somehow <laughs> we all have this little part of ourselves that imagines we're the exception. Like we can, if I can do enough chaturangas, like somehow it's not going to decay and go move on. Until it does. Until it does. (laughs) And then we fight, and you see a culture, a whole culture here, fighting time. Mm. And you can still be alive and vital and strong, but certainly you eventually learn, I would imagine, through these practices, that the body comes and the body goes, you Mm. know, and it's what we do with this uh, generous gift of our life force while we're here. Mm. You know, the, the theme of devotion has just been such a full encapsulating uh, resonance over the weekend and mm. over the Hanuman. conversations that we're having. Yeah, Hanuman. Mm. So, you know, was there a moment, a situation, a day mm. in your life when you woke up and you were past this old samskara, this old way of seeing mm. and, and devotion just poured in and you could see the world through new eyes. I don't know if this re- resonates mm. in, in your past experience whatsoever, but is there a time when you just felt mm. oh, my many. heart is for you? Oh, many, many times. And, and that I know that that's not great for, for story-wise, but it is a progressive, slow, steady, and then at moments you can never know when it's going to happen. This burst, this this or melting whichever way you want to imagine it Mm. into presence Mm. this that is so beautiful that tears just come Mm. i'll just go into 
bhakti realm and you know just feel this this persona this mask melt and mm. Yeah, so I, you know, I could tell you about the mountain top moment. I could tell you about sitting at, you know, Jai Uttal's feet, and it's just one note that he hits, and it's just, <laughs> you know, I can tell uh, you about chord. my daughter who's, you know, at four just singing the Hanuman Chalisa, just so cute, oh. that high little voice, and you're just <laughs> present. You're present, and that's, you know, that's devotion, being really willing to step into. The present moment of whatever it is those are all the beautiful ones and i'm sure there were some tough bhakti moments as well <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to it. the chanting mm. what is it who is it what deities are mm. you looking to invoke and you know how do you allow this ancient wisdom to become accessible mm. for those who may be a little mm-hmm. hesitant yeah first of all i like <laughs> I like that. I was definitely one of those people uh, no. the very first day I remember and uh, yeah. it has my heart. For sure. Come and hang out with me because that is what I am told that uh, I weave in well and that just that it's it's humanity. It's it's our humanness and these mythologies and these stories or whether you're saying, "Oh, this really happened." I'm not going to argue with you. I wasn't there, but what I do is I tell these stories that are absolutely relevant to this exact moment Mm. to these ways in which you know with Hanuman specifically like he doesn't have his superpowers revealed again to him until he's in devotion to Dharma Mm. and so if we get lost in the word Dharma but the highest path like his most um, full rich path and Sita the earth and the groundedness you know until those moments and he's in complete utter devotion, oh, his superpowers are then relieved. And so how is that not relevant now? When we get lost and pulled by all of these outer forces, the moment that we actually can find what we're truly in service of during this life, during this journey, toward our higher selves, really meaning that we act uh, with compassion, with kindness, with truthfulness, you know, in, in really tangible ways, not just sort of, oh, my highest self, like really tangible ways <laughs> of acting in a way that feels aligned with your heart, right? Tangible ways, not just words of higher self, mm. the dharma mm. of really being, living in that. And it's not easy. Try being honest all the way through a day, like full, flat out. It's intense. And aligning with that releases your superpowers, you know, and who can't relate to that? In that, then you're freed up of all of the the ways of trying to hide and manipulate the whole world to fit into the story that you're attempting to show out in the world. And that's one, that's Hanuman. And, and then there's Durga and the many weapons and then she actually wins through her vulnerability, her vulnerability, bearing her foot and walking toward the demon who doesn't try all of these weapons and all these things to slay their own inner demon. I'm not going to eat sugar. I'm going to do this. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do this. And then it always comes back to just this great vulnerability. So in each one of these stories, Lakshmi, just really the sense of being enough. Like I have enough. I am enough. That's it. And 
So all of them stream through my life, mm. and I do give certain weight to um, various expressions and aspects of me at different times meaning that at times when I'm gripping onto something I'll notice I'm tightening around some idea of how my life should be or idea of a relationship then I'll probably come visit Shiva and be just like Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya, Om Namah Shivaya like soften my grip you know let me release my illusion or delusion because I sure get lost just like everybody else in the story. Mm. Beautiful. Thank you for that, for, for illuminating some of the deities and you know what they have to offer. Yeah. I find that perhaps as we invocate these deities, it begins to rewrite a story in our mind. Perhaps we've used the word samskara a few times, and maybe for our listeners that is a very foreign word. Mm. Can you uh, mm. highlight this yes. word and let's talk about samskara? Yeah, so samskara, we could really, we could really get stuck on this for a <laughs> while, kidding. couldn't we? Because it's samskara, <laughs> we're in the loop, and uh, <laughs> you know how it was really beautifully shared with me um, fairly recently is that samskaras are that we are acting from undigested experiences, meaning once again you you cut me off in traffic i have fury come up i get really angry or something comes up like oh, it's unjust in some way and not saying that that's just not a human thing but there often if we really reel back and reel back and reel back there's some undigested experience of not having fairness your body has not had a full moment to digest uh, some either happening in this life or maybe in your parents' life. Like you can, we can look at the chain, look at your mom and dad, look at your aunts and uncles, look at your grandparents, look at the people around you, the sort of the line at which it comes down. And we're all sort of cyclically going through these journeys. Mm. What are we carrying that has not been assimilated or digested? The car experience would be just one little tiny thing, but just watch yourself relationally. Watch how you perceive the world, what lenses you're looking through. And you're looking through lenses that are often clouded mm. by undigested experiences. Yeah? Yeah. Sounds so much of uh, yoga is relationship. Mm. And about digestion. <laughs> you know, when you when you're in the body part of the practice, there is so much about digesting, like literally digesting your food, literally figuring out what's nutrients and waste, mm. and then also on the the visual impressions we take in, emotional mm. experiences we have. You'll see now culturally, like people have a baby and they're expected to just jump back in the world, like get to it. Why aren't you in your skinny jeans and you know? being mm. contributing to society and it's like digest digest the shift or digest the the transformation or whatever transition whatever is happening transformation is not easy no and we're ha we're going through it every minute 
<laughs> yeah, we talk about the big transformation, but we're always transforming. That's why, again, bhakti and asana and any of these practices are always alive because every day I step on my mat, I can't tell you how many sodhya namaskars I've done. And every time it's different. Of course. Yeah, so. You know, when you say uh, the great transition, yeah. transformation, yeah. what I think of is when I drop my body. Mm-hmm. You know, what about in... When I'm when I'm we're still in our bodies, what is the great transformation? I think the great transformation <laughs> is really understanding that we will drop the body, mm. and then it happens just in this beautiful, slow, um, constant remembering. That's the that's the big transformation. Mm. <laughs> is being able to be here, have this, know it's going, have this still, know it's going, and I feel like. Um, more than the big aha moment, which are always amazing. But then, you, you know, it's just, it's like enlightenment, chop wood, carry water. Right? It's just, it's just still transformation is in the way that I actually communicate with my children. Mm-hmm. It's the way that I wash the dishes and I'm present in an interaction. Mm-hmm. I think those are, are mm-hmm. the beautiful moments of transformation. How has becoming a mother transformed you? <laughs> Infinitely. Becoming a mother is, uh, yeah, it's shedding a whole other layer. And of course, you could pull, put on all of your jackets of momness, but um, I've used the yoga, and the yoga's used me, mm-hmm. and my kids uh, have been the great teachers of um, keeping that space open, being, uh, being curious, being inquisitive of what is it to share a light you know really feel like okay i bring this in how much of it do i own how much do i not open-handed it's it's an endless practice mm, you know I, I hope this is true let's see i, I youtubed you and yeah. there's this video yeah. i think of your kid yeah teaching yoga to all these adults yeah very possible it was really cute yeah <laughs> <And> they, <hilarious. laughs> yeah you'll see you know my youngest at bhakti fest and she was like four or five and she's just <laughs> telling everyone what to do and, yes yeah it's really cool but yeah they've been i they were in a sling and mm. nursing i was teaching and you just you're in the flow of living they've mm. been to india many times mm. and um Bless. yeah and that's a teacher i mean everyone has oh that's so amazing and it's like yeah and then i was on an airplane for 36 hours with a eight-month-old and a you know that's amazing <laughs> <laughs> and you just keep moving and you keep breathing who have been your biggest teachers? Mm. Yeah, aside from those two? Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I would say Prem Rawat, Maraji, is really the way he stepped into my life and kept the message and continues to keep the message very simple about, hey, it's here. <laughs> what are you looking for? It's right here. The gift is right here. You've been given this breath. Yoo-hoo. That really, I mean, that's really it. And he says it in a myriad of beautiful and funny and wonderful ways and has meditation uh, techniques, and that's great. But really just that message again and again and again. It's like, oh, right. We love to make it complicated. So yeah. Prem Rawat. Um, the Shivananda lineage, and I couldn't, you know, p- pick out a particular teacher, but in India, you know, I dove in. And again, those, those various teachers along the path that I couldn't name. And then Max Strom. I mean, Max, I would credit him for 
for really saying to me, here's the ground, here are your feet, <laughs> feel yeah. it, yeah. and we want you here, and uh, you will teach yoga. And me scoffing at him and letting him, <laughs> and him being really sweetly patient as <laughs> yoga just literally came and grabbed me by the hair and, oh, and took goodness. me. Um, yeah, and I would say, you know, in the last many handfuls of years, maybe seven, I practiced my own home practice of shadow yoga. So Zonders, Scott Blossom um, shared it out, and I, I don't teach it, and but that's um, been a really amazing teaching for me. And then, of course, I've just been in the light of so many amazing teachers and, and given myself over to... Uh, to many great teachers, mm. yeah. So it sounds like to me that you have a high value on the student-teacher relationship, mm. which I, I find just to be, as, uh, as I am so blessed to study with Richard and Mary, oh, yeah. it is just an incredible gift and blessing to have yoga poured into you as it has been poured into them, and mm. then more and more that's transmitted out into the world and shared. Yeah. What would you have to offer to our listeners who perhaps don't feel like they could say, this is my teacher. Mm. I haven't found my teacher yet. And to stay in faith. Right. Well, and that's it. The shraddha, the faith of, of keeping yourself open enough. And then also not too open. It's a trick, right? Because you see a lot of people just popping from teacher to teacher. And it's like, I took that workshop, I took that, I took that. And then it becomes what it is. And you, you integrate it through your body. You digest it. And it will emanate as it emanates. But there is nothing like sitting. And I say at the feet of the teacher, not, you know, and again, in the West, we have such a different perception of that. Mm. But literally where you get to step out of the way, where you get to be... Um, really just humbled in your own self and not be orchestrating the whole play <laughs> when you have a teacher you simply nod your head yes and you go I I I trust you and not blind faith not mm. just running on blind faith obviously if you have a strong intuitive nature you'll know when something's off but to relax in for a moment to just let yourself be seen in ways that you can't see yourself. We have our blind spots. And it's very possible that along the path you'll you'll hear a voice one moment, one day, that will simply resonate in the heart. It's not a mind decision. I feel like a teacher isn't a mental decision. Mm. I feel like, and the way we do things now, I could see how everything is so far away and online, and so you could be like, oh, I think I've heard, and you know, and you'd be drawn. And then you feel, but I think an in-person, you can feel it. Mm. You can feel it. And, sure. and, and if you can sink into what your intention is around the practice, then you'll probably meet that just right uh, guide or support for you along mm. your, your trip. You said the word intention, and that, I find, is always a beautiful conversation. How has intention in your life increase the quality of your life absolutely yeah well intention and it's talked about and sometimes over talked about but it's like drishti it's like drishti if you don't if you don't <laughs> if you don't put your gaze in any place you don't know you can't even where are you headed you're headed in every direction 
And intention to me is, is narrowing that gaze. And for me, um, there's, an int- there's, a, there's a, a, a looking back into the heart and out into the world, meaning what is resonant in my heart? What is actually the call of my heart? And then how am I acting in the world? So it's this intention sits here as, if, as a sort of an outer word and an outer thing. Like you can write an intention down. But as it moves into the heart and then as it moves into action, mm-hmm. I feel it becomes dynamic. And these two then will have an interchangeable way of guiding you, right? And guiding you. And again, this sounds, it can sometimes sound a little big and vague, but it's on really small, detailed levels. What am I going to purchase at the store? What store am I going to go to? You know, how am I going to sue the friend who just lost someone? How am I going to deal with being overtired and overbooked, you know? Intention, I feel like, can clarify and declutter Mm. a lot of our ways of being. Mm. Lifting the opaque view. Mm. Yeah, because we're, you know, just, (laughs) if we're running in all directions and grasping at everything, because we want every flavor and every sight, and we see how we do that, we probably see how other people do that. You know, as I was sitting the other day, and I was I was really looking forward to our conversation today. Mm-hmm. I was uh, looking always to dive more and more into devotion mm-hmm. and into bhakti. It's just a constant theme in my life right now. Mm-hmm. How do you pray? And what is prayer? What are you praying for? Who? Who? Mm-hmm. I say, you know, very mindfully. Mm-hmm. Are you praying towards yourself, your mm-hmm. heart, your wisest self? Mm-hmm. Yeah, these are beautiful questions, and I, everyone gets to go on an exploration, hopefully, uh, a journey with what that is for them and for myself. Yeah, it's... <laughs> prayer comes back to living. Prayer comes back to my level of attention, that I don't miss uh, a look from my daughter, or I, I, that I actually can notice and pay attention when someone's face shifts or a mood shifts or an internal um, need comes forth. To me, that's part of prayer. Now, I travel to India often and I'll go to temples and some temples are just rocks, right, that with lingams carved in or whatever, and you'll see gurus from people's prostrations with their forehead down on the ground. I personally do prostrations every day. I do, I do them incorporated with my Surya Namaskar, with my movement, and I pause and I put my whole body down, face down on the ground. Whatever environment, I don't carry a mat, I, I don't often practice on a mat, so whatever it is, I'm, I'm going. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's a moment of prostration which is pranidhana, you know, of the Ishvara pranidhana. What is, what is the Ishvara? What is the Lord? What is the God? What is the thing that you're um, surrendering to? That's for each individual. And it seems to be, um, for me and my clarification, really about life. Surrendering to the life that is here. Not constructing a story around it. Not forcing it in one direction or the other. 
that's softening this whole front body, that front body that is Shakti, that is so much about pushing into the world and expressing and the, the Janetness of me, right? <laughs> and that moment on the floor, I'm just a body on the floor, just touching in. A prayer also to all the beings that have ever been. Mm-hmm. Think of all the life forms that have ever come before, all their drama, their joy, their fears, their birth, their death. Like, we've been around a long time. And in that moment, I put my full body on the ground. That's just right. Mm. I'm just in a stream of being. Mm. Wow, that's beautiful. Ishvara. So, in the days when you know when we when we create an awareness of ishvara of this this uh, devotion to life mm-hmm. you know this reverence for our breath that mm-hmm. we're able to wake up to in the moments when like the 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 pattern of society of like go 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 like keep going and then keep going even more and you can't stop right that anxiety and it almost is as if ishvara is like she's always there oh. Yeah. Right, but the moments when we forget, how can we come back? Mm. Just like to tap back in. I think that's why, for me, consistent practice has been grueling, brutal, <laughs> and uh, nothing like it. Amazing. Because I just come back to the same place mm. every time. And it's like, oh, right, I'm here. Mm-hmm. It's a prayer of the body. And I sit, I do meditation, I do sit and I feel like um, we can move all the bodies, we can engage all the muscles, we can know what the fascia is doing, we can know how to put our bones, our ligaments, but if we can't sit in this structure (laughs) for a period of time, you know, and that's to be self-decided in a sense or to be guided by a teacher, but yeah, that to me is is a, Mm. a place of remembering what the Ishvara, where that is coming back to. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if I can't get it through just sitting and your mind is still racing, sometimes pranayamas or mantras, you know, that's why those, you know, hundred. Why, why else would I run my fingers on 108 beats? I mean, truly, I'm the first to call out, that's silly. And at the same time, it directs our attention, what is happening right here and now. It pulls forth sure a vibration or resonance of what you're calling in whatever mantra om 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 it could be big long one you could do the whole gayatri on 108 whatever it is that gives you pause to slow it down Mm. how do you encourage students or newcomers to the path to cultivate a consistent Mm -hmm. practice whatever it is Mm -hmm. By, one, having my own consistent practice, not telling people what to do, <laughs> from, from like, hey, it's a good idea. I've heard consistent <laughs> practice is a great idea. Um, but actually having my own mm-hmm. consistent practice, mm-hmm. really remaining a student of it, mm-hmm. and it's going to shift. And also, realistic. What is the reality of your life? And let's go back to intention. If your intention is one thing, then you're going to have a three-hour practice. And I'm going to say, great. If you're living and you're taking care of other things, you're doing other things in the world, then your practice is going to be like this. But people think it it has to look a certain way, but if it could simply be consistency. Consistency, consistency, consistency. All teachers have said that. 
not do a two not do a two hour practice one day and then blow it off mm -hmm. for because this thread in this way of bringing ourselves back to the intention to the Ishwara mm -hmm. yeah I think the consistency of practice in my life has been the saving grace yeah. of befriending my mind. It's wild in there. It's a <laughs> crazy place, yeah. but it's a beautiful place. Yeah. Beautiful. Mm. Janet, well, you know, how do you stay in play? Mm. How do you continue to play? I see it in your eyes yeah. of how, how much excitement you, you yeah. have to be here and as yeah. you approach Boulder and you approach life. Mm -hmm. how, how, do you, how do you stay in play with all the work and travel that you do? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Rasa Lila, you know, it's the, it's the, it's, it is the divine play. I mean, honestly, it's my teachers and really being, watching them go through their journey and what they've handed down. I get to... I get to sort of laugh at myself, not take it too seriously. Here is the mantra that helped me a long time ago. Mm. It's not about me. Mm. And if you can kind of get on board with it, it's not about me, then you're just in, we're all acting these, these characters and we're dancing through this life and let's might as well be kind to each other. Might as well be kind to yourself as much as possible. Mm. And yeah, it's, it's a lot of movement, you know, with what I do, and I am met in every place I go, um, at least by the time that I go, with so much heart and so much a desire to wake up, to just be awake, um, and to be seen and to see themselves. So I'm moved and inspired and nourished by that as well, and my kids are just... Amazing. <laughs> How many um, do you have? Amazing. I have two. Oh, wow. I have two. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. What an adventure. That is beautiful. So one golden nugget yeah. of wisdom to offer the Yoga Revealed podcast community, the practitioners, the teachers, the humans mm -hmm. on the path. One golden nugget of wisdom from Miss Janet Stone. No pressure. <laughs> this is it. This is my final word. <laughs> um, yeah, I would. The golden nugget would be it's already here. Mm -hmm. It's very simple. You don't need a new anything. You don't have to buy anything to get it. Mm. It's right here. Mm. Whether it looks like asana. Whether it looks like chanting, mm. whether it looks like whirling dervish, what you're looking for is right here. Mm. Bless. Mm. Thank you mm. for reminding us yeah. of uh, this and transmitting all of your wisdom to the Yoga Revealed podcast community and to the Hanuman Yoga Festival. Yeah. We're so fortunate to have <laughs> you here. Hanuman Bolo. Jay Haraman. Jay Haraman. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Yoga Revealed podcast. This is Alec Rubin here to extend a true heartwarming thanks to you for being a part of this 70,000 yogi strong community. You can practice with Janet Stone at the Yoga Tree in San Francisco. 
If you feel truly called to study with Janet but can't get out to San Francisco, here's what Janet has to say about her online Svadharma training. The Svadharma course, Sva is own. Dharma is, in a sense, our path, but not just our path path. It is based on truth. It is based on the full nature of all things and often equated to, in a sense, our highest path, making choices that don't take us down our normal, uh, habitual ways. So this is an unearthing and uncovering of what it is that we're up to in this lifetime, that when we make our choices, we make them um, with a little less delusion and confusion. So how in five weeks online can we accomplish this? I don't know. I don't even know if it's possible. <laughs> However, we'll gather together, uh, all of us making a commitment to show up day in, day out for five weeks. In that five weeks, um, what we commit to is pranayama. We commit to giving our mind a little bit of space, our body a little bit of space through meditation. We commit to um, a rhythmic asana practice. So it's a really a way of showing up, taking stock, what it is to clean out a little bit so that we can move into the next moment, the next day, the next situation, relationship, job, whatever it might be, with a little bit more clarity. Use the code YOGA REVEALED, all one word, at the checkout window while on Janet's website, janetstoneyoga.com. Click on Course, and then click on Svadharma Virtual Immersion. And a link will also be at the bottom of the blog. This is a 20% discounted rate for this amazing immersion with Janet Stone. And the best part is, you can take it at your own pace. We hope you are further inspired to dive into your heart and shine bright in your community. The world needs it more than ever. We are blessed to be revealing yoga together, one insightful interview at a time. Until next time, shine bright and love life. Namaste. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.